If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, it's Mark here. This week we're doing Why I Love Now by Piss Jeans, which was a, a request by a fan. You see, if you go over to our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash unsungpod, if you reach a certain tier, which I believe is $50 at the time of recording, we'll actually do an episode for you. Now, the idea is that we do an episode and send it to you, but we thought this one was so good that we just release it to everybody at the same time, so... This is why we're doing this. So if you've ever wondered, well, how do I know if these guys always make good in their promises when I donate money to them? Well, guess what? We do. And here's one such example. So hope you enjoy. Hey subs, or specifically hey race Bannon, because this is your this is your awful idea. You were the first person to donate a crag, which is fifty US dollars. Because we can't. Why is that an awful idea? It's a great idea. Yeah, Mark's showing his hand a wee bit early there. I think. No, I actually we'll talk about that man. I mean, I, mean, mm-hmm. I just mean yes, having to do a having to do an episode where I've half-assed the research because uh, I, I kind of misunderstood the purpose of it, uh, even though that's you get, arguably my that's, idea. So. That's you getting your value for money, race. Um, but yes, thank you very much for your continual donation of $50. Your T-shirt, which does um, feature the artwork of this album, uh, will be with you in an amount of time. <laughs> uh, oh, it's done. I mean, it, it's the, the, the artwork is glorious. Yeah, the artwork is done. You just need to get it made. So thank you very much for that. To all the other subs that are hearing this, this could be you. You could have your own t-shirt and you could also have your own episode, right? How cool is that? <laughs> Not very cool. But, you know, <laughs> for the purposes of trying to make money, yeah, very cool. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, for listening, everyone, who's who's got this very special episode. Um, Race has asked, What's this episode about? What's this about, Mark? Race has asked us to review the album Why Love Now by Piss Jeans. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, the fifth album by this kind of noise rock band from Pennsylvania. It was released in 2017. Yep. And I had heard, I've heard a lot about this band, but Same. I used to all, always get them confused with white denim. <laughs> uh, just because I don't pay attention to enough things in the world that don't directly benefit me. Um, but, you know, you guys may have noticed, and I've got something of a reputation amongst the three or four people that ever bother to speak about me, uh, as being a bit of a noise rock fan. Mm. Uh, yeah, there is a distinct uh, genre that I associate with Christopher Cusack, <laughs> and that would be uh, heavy bass tone, yeah, Telecaster guitar, heavily overdriven, American angry man wearing a plaid shirt, going rah, or or shirtless, uh, or shirtless. Yeah, yeah that's true. as long as as long as my bass uh, is going, ga 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 ga. Yeah, I'm in it. Yeah. Constance. So yeah, so it's it's kind of weird that you didn't know this band too much. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, that, that's that's what's kind of odd is that yeah, I'd I'd heard good things about them. Friends that were really into Mets for obvious reasons uh, were sort of recommending them, but I just didn't really set the time aside. I maybe have to confess, and this will come as a shock, but I felt a wee bit cynical uh, about <laughs> this. That's, that's so <laughs> unlike you, Chris. I know, I know. Uh, steady yourself after that revelation I felt a little bit cynical about some of the resurgence of the noise rock sound that's kind of propagated in the last few years I think the most obvious example of that and the most contentious example would be Idols Uh, but yeah, certainly the Piss Jeans, Mets, Idols are sort of like three of the leading lights of this noise rock scene that's pretty, I'm, I'm assuming, as well represented elsewhere as it currently is in Glasgow as well. And in fairness, there are some really good bands doing it, uh, bands that have taken a lot of the best things from it, like Cartilage from Glasgow, um, ex-members of United Fruit and Divorce, and Deathbed, another really young act from here, but they've got all the right ideas. Uh, but there's also a hell of a lot of the bands that have uh, had a go at that sound. I think maybe sensing that enough time had passed that they could effectively replicate parts of it without it being too obvious where they got them from. And maybe the the line of thinking wasn't as explicit as that, but I think it's definitely buried in there somewhere if they ask themselves. And yeah, so I mean, I should be a really big fan of Piss Jeans, I think, on the face of it. My actual opinion is not that. Well, I, I primarily know them uh, through being a hardcore band, which they also kept, they also are arguably um, have been for a lot of their career. And I, I kind of that's a pretty broad stretch of hardcore. I man. mean, it's, it's it, when I say hardcore, it's it's like very much indebted to like you know early eighties hardcore Black Flag that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's indebted to sort of punk, but I mean, it is. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really hear much hardcore in it, other than the fact that they obviously liked Black Flag, and that a lot of the bands in the nineties like Black Flag. But there's an entire huge generation that came after this that perfected the sound that these guys exactly do, and they were noise rock. I mean, this this is about as on the nose noise rock, I think, as you can get. I mean, that would probably explain why I would the, all my hardcore friends who like this kind of band, I would always call them like hipster hardcore bands. Because that's kind of the vibe I get. Because um, it, you know, um, a lot of my friends who are into hardcore love this, love this band, um, and love, 
like cerebral palsy and stuff like that as well are kind of similar, you know. Well, I can certainly, I can see why punk fans would find this slightly more esoteric left field thing interesting. I'm coming at it obviously as a metal fan, hmm. and I there are parts of it that I really angular things that I really like. Um, we'll talk about this record specifically in a in a bit, and like sometimes they go metal, and yeah. it really works. Um, I mean, this, they just—they don't quite sound- fit into anything, but that's not necessarily a good thing or this, a bad this thing. This sort of sound was the logical like, inheritor of the punk kind of crown. The like, the the stuff that became like post punk, which got quite high production and synthy, was you know a lot of it was quite focused on the production values and then. Some of the other punk stuff, like certainly pop punk, has got less to do with punk in my book than this in terms of the sense of punk abandon and sort of unsettling musical qualities. Uh, like pop punk really has very little of that. So I think like noise rock took a lot of the ideas of punk. So I mean, Mark, I do acknowledge that it took a lot of the confrontational and caustic aspects of that. So noise rock, there's so some of the greatest noise rock records uh, of the very, very late 80s, but really the early 90s, were very poorly produced, or the production was a... the, the, the noise, the, the messiness of the production was a big factor of them. I mean, the, the, there's bands like Cherubs and... can't remember the names of the albums off the top of my head but some of them are so fucking noisy and ferocious and they do a thing that happens quite often in this album at its better moments which is that the songs themselves aren't really up to much it's more about the vibe it's more about the the, the tones and the atmosphere and the sense of sort of nihilism that, that that goes through the music and nihilism was like kind of a pretty big feature of like a lot of true punk early on. It wasn't that it was necessarily as politically charged. It was like gobbing on people and wearing you know Nazi memorabilia and just generally trying to upset people and be stand out from the mainstream and do things to stretch kind of artistic boundaries. Which is you know that's kind of there are some aspects of that. Obviously not the Nazi memorabilia that are pretty admirable. And noise rock really took that and ran with it, I think. And so when bands like Nirvana came out and people said Nirvana were grunge, but I think most people that were really into Nirvana were like, no, they're much closer to this kind of thing, especially when you get off the beaten track of, you know, Lithium and stuff like that and start listening to, I mean, even other tracks on Nevermind, but certainly In Utero, Bleach, uh, Incesticide and their outtakes. have got far more in common with this style of music than they do with Pearl Jam. So yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm not, I'm not meaning to be churlish, man. I don't think it sounds like hardcore. I don't think, especially the, the drumming. The drumming in noise rock was a really big feature as well as the bass. There's a lot more space in it. So they don't really take those kind of tropes, but they do take a lot of the attitude. 
And this does have hell, like a hell of a lot of attitude in it, although I'm not sure how authentic a lot it is, except at the better moments when it does feel like, alright, cool, that's got some actual, you can hear some energy in that, but there's there's some of it that feels a little bit forced. I, I read about this album as I was listening to it the first time, and I will be honest, by the time I was into like the third or fourth paragraph, the album already had an uphill battle, because there was a lot of things about the rhetoric around it that really started to put me off them pretty quick. I felt they were very of their time, or certainly this album was very of its time in like 2017, as the sort of Me Too movement was exploding. Like it's painfully self-aware in that sense. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, the whole theme of the record is a sort of um, critique of gender relations and misogyny and male privilege, but like from a very sort of sarcastic and nihilistic point of view. But like I, I yeah I understand that that's very of its time because you know me too just happened but there's a lot of bands out there that aren't doing that like there's a lot of bands that aren't even bothering to critique themselves and like they do it with with a sense of humor yeah i mean i mean okay i'll make a better case for my point i mean i think i think first of all it is an interesting detail when you look at their backstory that they started out called uh, was it Unrequited Hard On mm-hmm. and in their own words their songs were about uh, dead ended carnal cravings and sexual depression so they were basically incels when they were kids <laughs> not that a lot of like young male teenagers aren't incels but yeah they were pretty comfortable wearing on its sleeve at that point um, I just think when you as soon as you see the, the, the press for this record and in, in particular the, the stuff about Lydia Lunch uh, that it doesn't sit very well with me. I mean, Lydia Lunch is a fantastic artist in her own right. She's been an actor, she's been a writer, she's a spoke, uh, sort of motivational speaker. participated in loads of really really good records with loads of really good artists a lot of people know her because she was on Death Valley 69 by Sonic Youth but she's done way better stuff than that under her own name, under the banner of her original uh, band Teenage Jesus and the Jerks And um, yeah, and collaborating with Swans and all kinds of other stuff as well. I mean, she's she's a really interesting artist and a more interesting artist than Piss Jeans by by some measure, I would suggest. But the 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 way she is bandied about on this as a co-producer seemed really really odd because it's the first thing. I mean, the Pitchfork review. It's the first sentence is that this album was co-produced with Lydia Lunch. It, it makes absolutely like no mention of Arthur Risk, the the producer that actually did all of the engineer work and all of the kind of technical side of it. When you when you read about the history of the album, it admits that Arthur Risk, R I Z K, I think his name is spelled, did all of the technical stuff. Um, and then there's this really odd uh, line about how uh, Lydia Lunch quote controlled the group's behaviour and contributed to the feminine undertones. And that was her role in it. Now, I'm not saying she wasn't in there making useful suggestions. She's got fucking bags of musical experience and loads of good ideas. But in terms of the production role in this album, 
controlling the group's behaviour and contributing to the feminine undertones while Risk did all the engineering and the recording and the production side of it. And then for Pitchfork to lead with a line, this was co-produced by Lydia Lunch, and the band to do multiple interviews where they talked about working with her, not working with Arthur Risk. Um, it started to be- become really obvious there was a very, very... Sort of, there was a narrative that we were just being bludgeoned with around this album. I mean, this album doesn't even appear on Lydia Lunch's Wikipedia, right? And she has hundreds of things on that Wikipedia. Stuff she's collaborated with, produced, recorded, written, spoken, everything. And this isn't on it. So, I mean, I don't know what she considers her role in this album, but the band and the label and the PR company and certainly the press around it really seized in this aspect. And it just feels like this is a band screaming in her face, We are woke! We are woke! This album's about issues that are relevant to the zeitgeist right now. And it's... I... 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 I'd like I I'd admire a lot of sentiments, you know I do. I mean obviously I do. Um but I kinda feel like how about instead of like waving that virtue in everybody's face, why don't you just just don't be a piece of shit in the music scene, maybe platform really good female and non binary artists and bands. Let them speak for themselves. They don't need you as a guy going up there saying, Oh, we gave this amazingly talented and experienced world famous underground musician a sort of negligible role in our album and now that's gonna help us sell records as four guys. It's that immediately put me off this record. It just felt so fucking opportunist and like I said, horribly self aware. I'd like to know how who had the idea for getting her involved in the first place because it does seem as though as it's not they're not exactly a band who are struggling in any real sense I mean the last album went over quite well they're touring a lot you know maybe maybe it's trying to change stuff up a little bit and I understand if that's the case and you're right maybe it is a reaction to, to the Me Too movement at that time certainly at that time people were still figuring out how they should react to it and how they should react to you know um the Me Too movement as a man and you're right you know platform movement would have been a, a, probably a better way to go but here we are we're stuck with the records <laughs> so yeah I know I know it's just yeah as I say I mean even reading their interviews and stuff later on as they went it's just like an unrelenting barrage of critiques of male privilege and misogyny which I totally get but there's also a part of me and you know without getting into any detail certainly in recent days in Scotland and in Glasgow in particular mm-hmm. whenever anybody bangs that drum so loudly I'm just I'm always terrified that a skeleton is going to fall out that closet and derail the whole conversation you know what I mean mm-hmm. when guys are out there banging a drum about how how we need to do this for women and do that for women it's like let women do things for themselves just don't fucking hold them back just don't objectify them and I feel like in a roundabout way there's a sort of slight objectification of Lydia Lynch in the context of this now She's a fucking adult and she is, I'm terrified of her. She's more than able to take care of herself and I suspect she would intervene if she felt she was being exploited in any way. Although, as I said, this doesn't really feature in her back catalogue, so I'm not sure what her opinions on it are. I mean, I think with the band approaching her, with this style of music, more than 
many styles of music actually all the way down to like maybe the hardcore stuff this is maybe another thing it has in common with that the old kind of chess beat or hardcore scene especially like east coast american scene that there is an ingrained sort of masculinity and bravado in the way the nature of the performance the tones the the delivery of the vocals um sometimes the sort of the fact that a lot of the lyrics are very edgelord a lot of the the track names and stuff especially in the 90s when there was less sort of awareness of that um and maybe the band felt you know this is our sound we're part of this we need to somehow compensate but they shouldn't i don't think they should worry i mean despite the inherent sort of like masculine bravado of a lot of the bands that do this sound loads of fucking brilliant women have conquered noise rock it is not an insurmountable thing it is not beyond the scope of women to grasp this genre like katie jane garside lydia lunch obviously uh boss hog made out of babies these are all amazing bands based around women's talents that have owned this genre and are up there as good as anyone Um, it's strewn with women that can own it so I don't think you need to overcompensate just play your fucking music you know, use your position to help but don't I I like how what they've done is they've maybe gone they've tried to be slightly too woke with it and then what they've done is incur the wrath of Cusack because if they just hadn't been woke it would be more woke by not being woke it's pretty much it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it would be. It's the left eating itself here, um, but yeah. I'll, I'll ask that's the is, that's the way it is because uh, it is true. Yeah, it's true. But it also it's also part of how the left opens itself up to such easy withering criticism from the right when it fucking patronises people and especially women in these sort of situations. I think it is slightly patronising. Yeah, it, but anyway, I mean there are bands that do much worse crimes. It's true. So, I mean, as I said, it was kind of facing a wee bit of an uphill struggle about <laughs> it from the start. Um, musically, uh, I, I like the idea. I like where it's coming from. Um, I think it's much edgier than Idols, much more interesting than Idols, definitely. Um, it's kind of nastier a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of nastier in its production than Mets, I think. Although Mets have some decent production, but this takes some chances that I like, especially I, at certain points. I, how do you feel in terms of it, like, because it's their fifth record, how do you feel in terms of their overall... Oeuvre. Um, Oeuvre. Oeuvre, yeah. indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, I went back to listen to a lot of stuff. It, it's good, it's pretty it's pretty consistent. There's the, the album, uh, the production in the albums does vary a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, I think King of Jeans is seen, like, before this record, was seen as, like, their standout... Yeah, I noticed I, I preferred yeah. it. I actually um, preferred it to this record as well, if I'm honest. Yeah, like King of Jeans was the one that I had listened to a few times and like I had a few tracks from that on a Angular Noise playlist. There's another band, uh, Whores. Whores. 
Have you heard those those guys? I've got I've got them in vinyl, and they're another huge throwback to this early nineties scene. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, yeah, just yeah. like Telecaster noise rock, just taking shellac riffs and then stripping it down. And yeah, add, I mean, yeah, and a it's cool, perfectly. Perfectly passable band. They've, they they whores sometimes go a bit closer to like Unsane yeah, or uh, yeah, yeah. or Todd or something like that. Like the really saturated, maybe um, what was that band that had the guy at a group dog drill, Future Ex Wife. Them as well, like the like quite saturated sounding, maybe maybe more so than Shellac because Steve Albini's so particular about his tones. But yeah, it's it's no coincidence that there's so many bands like this now. Um, I, as you can probably tell I'm a wee bit defensive about this genre. I mean, I love it, uh, but it's also easy to pass. It's easy to, for these bands now to come back and pass off ideas as their own. Well, do, do you know what? One uh, thing I think about it is that it's it's really fun to play. Very, so very like fun it's really to fun to play, and it's qu- it's not insanely difficult to be pretty solid at it because you just need a, like a solid drummer, a beefy bass tone, some fun big Telecaster riffs going through a loud amp, and you can be you know practice that, be pretty solid, and then I think a lot of these bands because they're will be full of energy, have this sort of nihilistic energy about them, are then pretty good live. You know, it's quite a quick and easy recipe. And then they go out and people are like, fuck yeah, I really enjoyed that because they were quite in my face. And then they're not doing anything spectacular or, you know, reinventing the wheel. They're just doing something very, quite simple, quite basic, but in your face and, and fun. Well, I think you've kind of stumbled over, on something as well that probably has a bit of truth to it. Because you're right, it's, it's, it's fairly easy music to do to an okay standard which I think is what's happening in a lot of these cases that we're talking about especially idols where the musicianship is nowhere near the level that it was back in the 90s when there was more competition but a lot of that stuff in the 90s was quite underreported. now albeit when Nirvana exploded a lot of the bands got signed but when they got signed and they moved up to major labels for example like Helmet and they started doing things like Aftertaste which was much more polished you know I mean it, it, actually the sound of the music changed quite significantly when the band sensed that they could get some mainstream appeal and so the early stuff by a lot of these bands is completely overlooked all the way back to like Band of Susans and all those kind of bands in the, the late 80s and so there's a huge tr- like trove of ideas there that most people have never come across because the first wave of noise rock uh, it, being underreported it does require a fair bit of time and effort to properly explore it I'm, I've had that time and effort, <laughs> too much time and effort as I'm preparing to turn 40, but um, I've I've really immersed myself in a lot of the bands from that era, and I've got friends that have gone even further down uh, those roads, and obviously you start to find the bands that have got one or two great tracks, and then a lot of average stuff, but any real dive into the sound of the early 90s will bring up better examples of what's happening here, and I think it would actually be quite good to just cite a couple of them, and I'm going to do it in a really easy way, rather than casting the net too wide, I'm just going to talk about Amphetamine Reptile the record label, alright, now Amphetamine Reptile was a fucking terrific and iconic label in the early 90s especially for encapsulating this kind of quality of like the new wave of like noise rock punk rock, Um, and if you pick up really any random sampler um, or playlist by Amphetamine Reptile you'll find a lot of good stuff on it, but in terms of the sounds that appear on Piss Jeans, you've got bands like Chokebore, especially early Chokebore. Chokebore are one of those bands that got a wee bit... 
I don't know, just a wee bit wishy-washy as they went on, uh, but their Motionless album that came out in 93 uh, and things like the third track in that Van McCoy fucking template for, for this style of stuff... And actually, the slightly more palatable end of this side of style of stuff, uh, the band Cows, which featured Kevin Ritmanis, who then joined Melvins and Tomahawk. Uh, Cows, I have, as I understand it, um, James Hetfield was a really big fan of Cows. Uh, they, they were quite eccentric. I think they even had like trumpets in, in their sound at times. Um, and at, at moments, Cows' early stuff gets almost like zooey in the saturation of the, the, the sounds. Uh, but they had this really brutal punk energy that you hear in this. Uh, Boss Hog, who I've mentioned already, that was John Spencer and his wife Christina Martinez, uh, their Cold Hands record in 1990. Has this kind of punk blues thing, which a lot of noise rock's really dependent on. As you're saying, Dave, it's quite easy to play, and it's because in some cases and it's because when you get that bass saturated and start playing just your you know your 12 bar blues in it with a couple of string bends and the occasional flat it just it just sounds it's a formula it's very easy to replicate it's all about the groove in it um guzzard who were, were quite big in that scene kind of rough ass sort of noisy grunge punk Uh, a really good band actually, Hammerhead. Also, obviously, Amphetamine Reptile laid a record in 94 called Into the Vortex. Which has the sort of sludgy quality of this, because I noticed this being described as sludge punk, which is a, not a bad representation mm-hmm. of it actually. But Hammerhead had that sludginess, but also the little hints of like semi melody that makes this kind of more accessible. They knew when to sort of throw in a chorus that had just a, the right amount of like tunefulness, and it, I think it actually Hammerhead end up being like one of the best examples of like alternative punk of that era. Uh, you've got Helmet. Obviously, don't need to go into much detail, but certainly they're strap-it-on stuff, the early stuff. It's way more energised than this. Uh, Janet or Joe, really fucking good band. Uh, record in 93 as well, called Big Metal Birds. got to hear that if you like this record um, it makes this sound 
kind of poppy by comparison. It's really caustic, energetic, and the attitude behind Janet or Joe stuff, the way they arranged it and the delivery of it, it's just so punk, man. You could tell they didn't, you know, they were like, I'm not doing another take of that. That one felt right. Fuck it, we'll go with it. That was the attitude they had in the studio. Um, just a couple more surgery. Surgery had this slightly kind of drawled, catchy kind of style of vocal that I think idols have taken quite a lot from. It's, it's not Liam Gallagher, but you know that thing where there's sometimes like a kind of, yeah, that kind of, yeah. that was actually a feature of some of this music. Um, Surgery aren't quite as caustic, but they are really angular, quite ugly. Uh, the band Tar. Nineteen ninety one album Jackson. Uh, it's a band that were formed in Chicago. They were, you know, they knew Albini quite well. Um, really grinding sound to that record. Dirty, I listened to a bit of Tar this morning actually. Enjoyed. Yeah, it. really good, man. Especially that uh, that that period of it, the ninety one stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's loads of like cool inventive ideas in Tar songs as well. They'll just instead of one, two, three, four, here goes the song. There'll be all kinds of weird little gimmicks in their tunes that are quite inventive. Uh, and then obviously you've got like the granddaddies like Melvin's. who this band owe a lot to and the ultimate noise rock band The Jesus Lizard I mean The Jesus Lizard completed noise rock anybody that came after The Jesus Lizard is just switching the game back on for Mm -hmm. retro kicks because all of the best ideas were channeled through that band, whether it's the sound, whether it's the early stuff that's really caustic and almost big blackish, building on their kind of scratch acid days, or whether it's the level of musicianship that they had, because it's deceptive, that's the thing that idols don't have, idols have got some of the swagger of Jesus Lizard and some of the dissonance, but they, they don't have the ability or the invention behind it, I mean, Dwayne Dennison's guitar is literally, literally one of the best guitarists in the world for me ever. And it doesn't mean he's necessarily the most technically gifted, but his inventiveness and his ability to take uh, like his classical jazz training and apply it to punk music was fucking astonishing. And obviously, I mean, everybody in that band was good, but David Joe, I mean, all other noise rock vocalists are trying to get there. So I think there's there's a there's a legacy of great artists that have informed this band, and I'm not against bands, you know, reflecting a lot of aspects of bands they admire. I mean, fuck, I spent half my life ripping off Nirvana or Fugazi, but I do like to think that the bands eventually get to a point where they're like, yeah, we should do our own thing with this though. And I don't think often enough that Piss Jeans bother to do their own thing with it. They're just like nobody really knows about these bands. We'll just keep doing this. You know, we don't have to bother. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like while I've now record in particular. I like it's a it's a solid album acknowledging all those influences, but like I felt the strongest 
parts for me were when they ventured out of that noise rock thing and like waiting on my horrible warning it's got that sort of it's more like a I don't know Nick Cave or something like that in terms of like you know, the weird birthday wonk. party yeah birthday yeah. party Nick Cave but honestly man that is just an absolute rip of Melvin's I mean Melvin's have got yeah Like uh, I think it's your knees. I actually I think the second half of the record is stronger. And I agree. It's your knees, and then worldwide marine. Like it's your knees sounds more like high on fire. It's like got mm, a way more cool. stoner metal vibe to it. It's also really got much it. better production. You know, yeah, it's, a, yeah, yeah. it's got a really strong production in that song, and it kind of crosses into bits of early grunge like Tad or Melvin's. It's like mm-hmm. a bit thicker, as you say. Little hints of the high and fire thing, obviously, with a different approach to the vocals. Um, and it's a good attempt, but it's a good attempt at a done thing. Yeah, it's like, it's it's definitely not a bad record. Um, no, I mean, I wasn't mad on stuff like the the bar is low. I think it's totally fine. Um, I did think that Ignore Cam was pretty good. I uh, thought that kind of stood out. It, it at least feels like there was a real vibe in the room when they were playing that. It's got a lot of live <laughs> energy to it, and it's got a bit of it's got a bit of personality that distinguishes it uh, for the pack. The, the Cold Whip Cream tune is just totally by the numbers, 92-93 noise rock, with slightly better uh, production, thanks to Risk. Love Without Emotion, Again, standard kind of early 90s noise rock stuff, maybe a bit closer to surgery because it's a bit more tuneful. Uh, what did you think of that track, I'm a Man? Track 6, the one that's voiced by Lindsay Hunter doing the weird monologue. I thought the... I thought the monologue was both quite funny but also really a bit scary because it, it's just so mundane. Where's your boss? Don't answer that because he's right here. I'm pointing at me. I'm your boss. Get me a coffee and dip your undies in it because I like my coffee with a nib of cream. I'm a man, this office lady. Who's in that picture frame? I like kids. You know what I mean? Like everything she's talking, everything that, that the narrator's talking about is like a really mundane thing but it's like really sinister and it's not creepy. It's not super creepy. It's just kind of insidious. And I actually quite liked that. I was like, well... This is probably happening all the time. This is like a, a good insight, like narratively, I think, from from a writing point of view. You know? Yeah, it certainly See, fits in the theme of the record. 
it's a it's a technique that ministry used in in the, the early 90s but tomahawk ended up using it later on but again jesus lizard did a very similar thing um on i think it was a short album and it's a phone call with someone one side of the phone call where they're basically it's like a like a monologue where they're worried about them and it's done better <laughs> to be perfectly honest it's just done better and it's eerier because there's a sort of sense of is this person committed suicide what's that was and then it just gets a bit weird mm. i think again that's something that's been done it's like they're ticking another noise rock box and that's really fucking frustrating um I thought won't tell you my sign started really good had it good was really yeah mm-hmm. it's a re- really really strong start There was a good sort of like sense with this song that they didn't actually care about it being a good song. It was all about the, the vibe and the attitude. And I thought that actually made this one of the most interesting tunes on the record because as I was saying with a lot of noise rock, it wasn't like, oh, here's a great fucking tune. It's here's just a bag of atmosphere and vibe. Mm-hmm. And this song had bags of atmosphere and vibe. And I think to casual listeners, it's probably one of the weakest songs in the album if you're not into noise rock. But to me... It felt like one of the most sincere, like it would have been good to play live, it would have had a real feel about it, and so ultimately it's kind of a shit tune, but I really like it because of that, because they've committed to the sound of it and the mood of it, rather than trying to make a you know a hit or anything. Um, that Worldwide Marine Asset Management, uh, pretty cool, yeah, yeah. really good beat. inventive in some of the kind of better traditions of Jesus Lizard uh, without ripping them off and I think that also makes it one of his standout tracks Um, Have You Ever Been Furniture furniture? Clearly is like one of the hookiest on it Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like a Stikes. total Black Sabbath riff, man. Uh, yeah. Aye, aye. I think starting that track, uh, starting the verses with the, the title of the song is really good. Makes it gives the song like a lot more kind of immediacy. Um, I think it's in the top three in this easily, mm-hmm. and it's dead basic, but it, it feels sort of yeah, it sincere. works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Activia, which is that not like a fucking a yogurt? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean that's just full on Melvin's chops man totally, I mean the vocals totally. on it are less buzzle they're a bit more kind of early Nirvana or like big long now pen cap chew kind of Nirvana um, it's, it's fine and the, the last track not even married is just oh guys let's finish off with a fucking absolute Jesus lizard rip off I 
I mean, it's fine, but it's it's a Jesus Lizard ripoff. There's just there's no getting around it. It's just yeah. So I mean, like overall, my my total vibe on this record was I'd like to see them live. I think it'd be fun. I'm not going to listen to this band. And do you know what? It's that it's like that drumming thing where there, it's just always on the beat, and uh, there's not enough. There's just not enough hardcore or metal in it for me, and it's not doing anything clever enough rhythm-wise. Mm-hmm. But I can und- like I'd really like to see them live and get the energy and stuff like that. Listening to it, I'm just like, oh, do you know what? I want to I want to go and listen to Daughters instead because it's way more interesting. Yeah, totally. That's the vibe I got as well. Um, particularly the newer Daughter stuff is is like this, but with a lot more to it. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of this genre of music. Uh, I did see Daughters live. I think you were at that gig, Dave, as well. Um, yeah, the art school one. Yeah, and they were phenomenal, and they're just such a good. Even though they feel a lot fell fell out on stage, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Daughters from here are much more. I don't know. Just get more to them. They're more interesting. They, they yeah, I mean, they're, risks, they're a ba- they've gone through a number of iterations. Like totally. they've they've kind of they've ridden a lot of wagons on the way to where they are. So I mean, they they, they rode the sort of locust thing for a while as well. Um, but I mean, at least they've taken that idea and they've attempted to do something much further out and and just go kind of weirder, more original places with it. I think they're channeling more of the original spirit of like the birthday party and even bands like Liars and stuff who just take a lot more chances mm-hmm. with their music and it doesn't always work but at least they're not just doing a kind of capable aggregation of like 1993 in Chicago if you know what I mean mm-hmm. and it's nice to see bands attempt something because they, you never know what they're going to come across and it could be a total all-time classic I just don't think Piss Jeans are taking enough chances yet in the album there are absolutely at least three or four tunes that show like man this is, this is actually pretty fucking good but it makes some of the other tracks more disappointing as a result because you're like eh, it's too obvious well I hope we um, did it justice we yeah, all felt fairly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you may have given us your money, but you, we did, we never promised to be nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but what the, I mean, the highlight of surely any uh, record is how we then get from it to our chosen nexus. A nexus, Indeed. you say? Indeed. Why am I here? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus. For you, this is what you want. So it's the Nexus time, and there's a, a lovely little coincidence here because we pulled the Nexus out of the tub uh, backstage. And uh, what's the, what's the, the payment level uh, is named? Who's it named after? It's named Mark? after our good friend Craig, who was the first man to Craig, get us fifty yep. pounds. <laughs> Craig Carrick, our first uh, funder at that tier, and lo and behold, fished out the tub was a Craig Carrick Nexus, and I'd, I'd fucking cross my heart here. There's, there's, there's no fix, no shenanigans, and, and it's, it's a wonderful one as well. Michael Bolton, Michael Bolton, <laughs> Michael fucking Bolton, great. Who'd care? Who cared to go first? Am I just short? So I'll go first. Um, that's not a surprise, I guess. So, 
Have you guys ever seen a TV show called The Path? I have not, no. I don't think so. It sounds like a religious thing. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it stars Aaron Paul, Hugh Dancy and Michelle Monaghan. It was on for three seasons on Hulu, um, finished in 2018. Really good show. It's about like this cult um, and how one guy gets out of it and then turns out he's like the chosen one and has to try and make it not fucking mental. Really good show. Great performances by everyone. The, low, the song The Bar Is Low from this record is actually in season three, episode three of that show. And like I said, it stars Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul is, of course, from best known for being on Breaking Bad and, mm-hmm. and weird sort of tangent. But I finally watched El Camino a couple of weeks ago. I don't know why it took me so fucking so long. Um, so did I. It's yeah. like a Western. It's a really good, really, really good film, actually. Um, makes no sense if you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Like, the characters, like, <laughs> there's no character building in it at all, really. But, I mean, that's the point, right? It's a sequel. Um, yeah, why, why waste time? Yeah. Um, Aaron Paul is also most recently done uh, Bojack Horseman with Will Arnett. And... Well, Arnett was in Pop Star Never Stop Stopping, which is a Lonely Island film. I don't know if you've seen that's, that. That's a totally underrated uh, really comedy. Good. Yeah, really funny. That, that is like seriously. I was amazed when I found out that even existed. I was like, ah, this is exactly the kind of thing I would have seen. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty funny, especially the bit with the penis at the car window. Yeah, a lot of it's great. Tri- trigger warning. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arnett was a parody TMZ support, uh, reporter in Pop Star, and Michael Bolton's also in it playing himself. So there you go. Right enough. Oh, lovely. I go next. I don't mind. You prefer me to go first. I'm happy to go. I mean, I've tried to uh, tick a couple of boxes here. I haven't got any Nazis, but I do have Dave Grohl. So, um, (laughs) King of Jeans, uh, 2009 Piss Jeans record was their. I think they then went on to work with them again, but that was their first record produced by Alex Newport. Uh, Alex Newport, who used to be in the uh, Fudge Tunnel. And then went on to. There's a band we didn't mention. They're fucking brilliant. They're yeah. a really good noise rock band from that original wave. Yeah, they're like uh, that, they're, hate, yeah, hate songs in E minor by Fudge Tunnel is fucking brilliant, and it's got an awesome cream cover. He was also a nail bomb as well. Do you remember them? Oh, really? Really good. Like with, that uh, Max side Cavalera. project with yeah, Cavalera and what um, a fucking record. That's yeah. a good record, man. We should do that record. He ended up producing In Casino Out and Via by At the Drive-In. Oh shit, I can hear somebody playing <laughs> loud <laughs> angular guitar downstairs, so I might have to get through this quickly. But uh, anyway, uh, so he he became a very in-demand producer, did stuff with Death Cab for Cutie, and at one point he worked with Nate Mendel uh, on a side project mm. called Lieutenant Nate Mendel from the Foo Fighters. Two days ago, uh, Dave Grohl was part of a all-star home performance thing to raise money for New Orleans jazz hall i think or something i'd i, I don't know. Jazz but hall. they were all yeah Lovely yeah that's right so, good. so um dave grohl was one of the many people to perform from his house uh, on like this live stream gig along with paul mccartney and a certain another classic dave dave matthews <laughs> uh dave matthews in 2005 they re- the dave matthews band released a single called dream girl uh, I have not heard it or watched it, but Lies. it does feature in her first music video appearance, Julia Roberts. Really? Yeah, she. That's her. Not more than it's her first appearance. Yeah, so that was back in two thousand five. So that was about four or five years after um, her Oscar-winning portrayal of Erin Brockovich, the real-life activist and um, reporter. Reporter. So, did you know that Erin Brockovich? Uh, then the real life Erin Brockovich uh, went on to become a sort of media personality and hosted a TV series in America called Challenge America with Erin Brockovich 
It was no the US version of Challenge Annika. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay. Challenge Annika that which was late 80s early 90s Saturday night or Sunday night show hosted by Annika Rice and it was like a sort of wait wait can I just check was it not Richard Madeley as well oh was he involved maybe who who was the guy there was a guy that was back in the studio then Annika was flying about Somerset and shit yeah that's right I can't remember who it was Anyway, somebody, somebody in my brain that is like Richard. But that was cool as fuck Richard because Mayer. she always got they like drove lorries around and then there was little go karts and blah blah blah, and it was like I can't really remember what the actual format was. Yeah, basically John, wait wait, Michael Bolton recorded a song New York City, uh, which was for an episode of Challenge Annika. The proceeds of that went to children's Ch- hospices Challenge, across Challenge the UK. Challenge Erin. Yes, there you are. <laughs> so, well. Okay, and I, I owe Dave one here because we had both landed on the same final link and he gracefully stepped aside so I could have it um, because I didn't have another link. So Piss Jeans, uh, in some manner collaborated with Lydia Lunch. We've discussed that earlier in the episode. Lydia Lunch had a bit of a feud going with Joe Rogan. Uh, sort of based on a, a YouTube video where uh, that was backstage at one of his shows where she confronted him because he'd made jokes about, quote, dumb women... I've not seen the jokes, I don't know the context, but anyway, she had a feud with him, uh, she then was interviewed about it and kind of mocked him a wee bit for, I don't know if this is true or not, becoming a Buddhist, I have no idea, uh, and she also said that uh, she would counter uh, Joe Rogan's jiu-jitsu with one bullet, which is a little bit intense, mm-hmm. but um, okay. Joe Rogan was, strangely enough, not so long ago, about a year ago now, branded as a sellout by his former, well, maybe still friend, but estranged friend, Alex Jones. Uh, And that was because Joe Rogan had had uh, Jack Dorsey on the show in something of a a softball interview, really, by his standards. And it turned out, to be fair, Alex Jones, that uh, Jack Dorsey's Cash App, one of the other things that he owns, sponsors Joe Rogan's show. So uh, Alex Jones cried foul. Jack Dorsey founded Twitter, and Twitter is currently in the crosshairs of Donald Trump after um, fact-checking and then tweet-blocking or retweet-blocking his recent garbage posts about all manner of things, including uh, mail-in voting and shooting litters. Donald Trump uh, was not so so long ago, I can't remember, maybe three years, um, criticised openly in the press by Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne. Uh, for using the song Crazy Train at his rallies. By the way, what is what is the fucking deal with Donald Trump and the tunes at his rallies? I mean, we sh- it's not like he's been subtle. He's got Crazy Train, which is like going off the rails mm-hmm. like a crazy train. He's got uh, You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. He's got Elvis's A Little Less Conversation, <laughs> A Little More Action. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also showing a depth, that, an emotional depth that I, I didn't expect uh, he uses apparently quite regularly uh, I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys <laughs> which features the line ain't nothing but a mistake um, anyway Ozzy Osbourne was in Black Sabbath and amazingly in 1983 Michael Bolton auditioned for Black Sabbath uh, before they finally took Gillen on as the replacement well that's a rumour that's a rumour but he did. He was in a band that oh, Tony, Tony Iommi says it was uh, yeah, he, Bolton said it then denied it and then Tony Iommi came out and said no Michael Bolton came in and we actually thought he was really good but we just went with, with Gillen oh well cool uh, well there you go F- three full necks I we all uh, thought your record was alright 
and then dismantled the entire purpose of the band. I hope that was (laughs) worth the money. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Immediately ending that subscription. Uh, uh, no, but thank you very much. It, we do we do appreciate it, and uh, yeah, any ideas for content are always welcome. Anyway, so yeah, uh, and Race Bannon, just one final message: no refunds. <laughs> <laughs>